Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. And as you have heard us say many, many times that the mission that God has given us, the assignment that God has given us here at Chestnut Mountain is to saturate the world by making disciples. And what we're gonna continue to do is we're gonna walk through these three strategies. Um, And I hope you remember the three simple words from last week. We're gonna have a test right quick, okay? And if you remember, I'll kind of give you a cheat sheet. All right, remember if you ain't cheating, you're not trying. Um, Belong, become, build. You got that? So we're gonna try it together. Are you ready? And I think they're gonna be on the screen this time. See, y'all, they did it second serve and it went off without a hitch. So you ready? On the count of three, we're gonna do this together. One, two, three. Belong. One more time. Do not read what it says. You just said it really, really fast. Belong, become, build. And as we unpacked last week, the word belong. And what we realized is that word belong. And what I want you to understand, these these words that we come up with, this is not something that we just sit down on a whiteboard and say, you know what, that sounds good. We truly believe that everything that we hear, everything we communicate to you has been given to us by God. This is through prayer. This is through asking the Lord's direction. What, God, would you have us to do? What can we communicate that is so simple? And these are the three words that God sort of placed on our heart that is a team. And as we looked last week, we realized that word belong is straight from the heart of God. And as we unpacked it, we saw that God's desire is for us to number one, belong to him. But then secondly, he wants us to belong to a family. And so today we're gonna unpack the second word, if you would, and that word is the word become. And as you hear us talk about this word become, it is the front end of a statement that what our heart is here at Chestnut Mountain is that every person that sits in this room, number one, you know you belong to God, but we want every believer in Jesus Christ to become a mature disciple of Christ. Every individual in this room, our heart's desire for you, same as God's, is that you all become a mature disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and here's the thing, and this is where I wrestle as a pastor because you know when you you sort of share this vision, when you share our strategies, you know you you would love to find these, these these scriptures that maybe aren't read a whole lot or maybe that they, you think, well, man, how did God give him that? How did they get that from that? But that's not the case here. We're gonna keep it simple. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20 is a commandment and a commissioning from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to his disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And Jesus, oh, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Now what's interesting here is, if I were to ask all of you, who is Jesus talking to? Most of us would probably be able to say, hey, that's obvious, he's talking to his disciples. But what's interesting enough is that he's telling his disciples to make disciples. He's telling them, look, I want you to reproduce yourself. I want you to reproduce who you have become and who you are. Because why we say that, why we hear that, why we take that from that text is because what Jesus has done with the disciples is exactly what he wants us to do with believers. Jesus himself has reproduced himself in these disciples. And therefore, he tells the disciples to reproduce themselves in other disciples. So we see this cyclical process of discipleship. It's just an ongoing circle that always honestly starts back up where it ends. And it's just, and look, the reality is, is it never stops. This model of discipleship never stops. But you know, disciple or discipleship is one of those words that we hear a lot. And to be honest with you, I believe with everything in me, the church as a whole has sort of complicated it. Complicated this concept of making disciples. Complicated this concept of what it means to be a disciple. If we look back in the Old Testament, we can see that the idea of discipleship originated in the Old Testament. Because we can see all throughout the scriptures where people followed their master and they followed their master to become who their master was or to just to simply finish the work that the master had started. And so we see it introduced a long time ago. We see it introduced in the Old Testament because the examples that we have, you have Elisha, you have Elijah, we have Moses, and we know that Moses was very selective on who he would pick out and who he would train up. But what Moses was doing is he was wanting his work to continue on even in his absence. And so what a, what a master would do, what a teacher would do is they would spend the time teaching with the end result of being able to release that individual to do the work they had been trained to do. And so we see that then when you fast forward to the New Testament, just in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just in the gospel and the book of Acts, the word disciple or discipleship or one that kind of runs parallel with that is believer or follower. All those are kind of all in a nutshell together. Just in those five books of the Bible, we see discipleship or the word disciple alluded to 261 times, just in those five books alone. And so if, I'm not a rocket science scientist, but if something is mentioned 261 times in five places in five books of this big old Bible, it's probably something that needs to be paid attention to. Discipleship mentioned 261 times. So you might ask the question, what's the definition of disciple? Are you ready? It's really earth shattering. A disciple is a follower or a learner of someone else. That's it. A disciple is a follower or a learner 
of someone else. It was alluded to, as we mentioned in the Old Testament, they followed a master in order to become like that master or to continue that master's work. And then in Matthew chapter 28, we've just read, he's speaking to these disciples who are following him, who have been learning from him, and he wants them to finish what he started. Now, it's very important that we understand the timing of when Jesus gives this great commission. What we realize is that he gives this after his resurrection, after his work has already been accomplished. He has spent this season of training and teaching the disciples, and he challenges them with this right before he ascends back to the right hand of the Father. And so what we realize in this is Jesus has gotten to a place where he said, okay, I have trained them up. I'm about to be out of here, and now I'm gonna commission them to finish what I've taught them to do. He's saying, I want them as my disciples to go and make disciples. But I can't help but to get a visual here. Because if you go back to like the 96 Olympics, you remember the dream team, right? I mean, you had Michael Jordan, you had Magic Johnson, you had Larry Bird, you had Scottie Pippen. You had, that was back when the NBA was real basketball. Y'all all remember, right? That's when it was fun to watch. Who Jesus is talking to was not the dream team. Because when we look at the dream team from the 96 Olympics, in your mind, you're like, there is no way that team loses. It's an impossibility because of their pedigree, because of who they are, there's no way they lose. It's an impossibility. But as Jesus steps back and he's talking to this group of disciples, I just can't help but to get kind of a, a comic strip picture here of these just misfits. They're probably standing around, flip-flops busted, robes falling off, hair probably hasn't been washed in months. They're probably punching each other. They're probably slapping each other, not really paying a whole lot of attention. And you look at them, and in our minds, in our carnal minds, we're saying, there is absolutely no way they win. There is no way they win. But this is the group that Jesus has chosen and said, hey, you know what? These 12 misfits are gonna make my name famous. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that because that's me. I would have fit right in. I would have fit right in. And so as he's talking to these guys, we look and we say, there's no way. There's no way. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit of God is he gonna be able to use this bunch of fellas to accomplish his work. But you do realize that here we are some thousands of years later and obviously what they did worked because disciples are still making disciples. You're a disciple. You're a follower of Christ because you have these men who were commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ and they were obedient. You realize that, that our heritage goes all the way back to that moment. Had they been disobedient, we have to wonder what would have happened. But because of the obedience of these misfits, you and I have had the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. So where I want us to start today is is how in the world did these guys end up the disciples? How in the world did these men, how did the Lord choose these guys? 
to be the disciples, to make the name of Jesus Christ famous. And so I wanna walk through that process first. Number one, it all started with Jesus going to them. It all started with an invitation from the Savior of the world. He extends this invitation. He approaches every one of the disciples. He invites them in. And so therefore, they were left with a decision. Do I respond or do I reject this invitation? Because look, we all, when you go to the mailbox, you're all gonna get an invitation to birthday, birthday parties, right? Weddings, graduations. There's your invitation. But the question is, is what do you do with that invitation? You either accept it and follow through with it or you throw in the trash can. You reject it. And so what I want us to do very quickly, we're not gonna flip through all the pages. You can write this down and go back and read it later, but it's, it's pretty simple. What I wanna do is just walk through about four scenarios of where Jesus approached these disciples. Matthew chapter four, he approaches Peter and Andrew who were fishermen, who were making their career by fishing. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Their response, the Bible says, they immediately dropped their nets and followed. Matthew chapter nine, he invites Matthew, a tax collector, a guy who was despised by people like you and me. And he goes to Matthew in his tax collector's booth and he says, hey, follow me. And Matthew's response, very simple. He got up and he followed. Mark chapter 19, he goes to James and John, two more fishermen. And the Bible says that he called to them. But then we see what their response is. It says that they left behind their boat, their fathers, and then guess what? They followed Jesus. John chapter one, Jesus approaches Philip and he says, follow me. Philip's response was he took off and he followed Jesus, but he brought Nathaniel along with him. But what we see is they're all similar in that every disciple was invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ to follow him. And we see that their response was very similar. All of their responses were very, very similar. Now I know in your mind you're going, but Jesus is no longer here with us on this earth. So Jesus cannot invite us in. Jesus cannot come and me be out on the boat fishing and him whistle at me and say, hey, come follow me. You say, well, Jesus is not standing on the side of 985 flagging me down saying, hey, come follow me. No, but the beauty of the gospel is, is he thought all this out. And when he ascended back to heaven, what does he say in the book of Acts? He says, you wait until I will send the Holy Spirit. I'm sending a comforter. And then in Matthew chapter, or John chapter six, verse 44, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it right quick. We see the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter six, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are disciples of Jesus Christ, we have all encountered and we have all heard that invitation from the Father of heaven. We have all heard the invite from the Holy Spirit of an almighty God that has invited us in to follow him. And if you think back on that moment when the Holy Spirit began to to just get a hold of your heart, when the Holy Spirit began to knock on your heart's door, as we like to say, as he began to invite you in, for the majority, if not all of us, it was a very, very uncomfortable situation because we had never encountered something so holy, so righteous. And maybe we just felt so unworthy. Or maybe you just didn't even realize what was going on. I remember I was 12 years old at Riverbend Baptist Church when the Holy Spirit of God invited me in. I was a nervous wreck. My heart was pounding out of my chest because in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God revealed to me that I was a sinner and that I was separated from a father who loves me. But through that nervousness, through that that still small voice, he's saying, hey, Follow me and I'll fix all that. Follow me and I will fix all of that. And I am so thankful that at the age of 12 years old that I responded to that invitation to follow Jesus. And if you are a disciple of Christ in this room today, you remember that invitation. And you remember how you responded to that invitation. But you know what's interesting? Yes, they all responded. But one thing that they all have in common, in order to follow Jesus, what did they have to do? They had to leave a lot of things behind. You do realize these fishermen, these tax collectors, these These guys, everything that they were doing, the life that they were living is they were chasing success. Their jobs, their occupation, it was their identity. It's how the world knew them. But in a moment, when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus Christ invited them into that relationship, it said, you know what? These disciples said in that moment, I'm willing to turn and leave everything behind that I know is normal and I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna leave behind my profession. I'm gonna leave behind my family. I'm gonna leave behind all that I thought was important. And I'm gonna pursue this holy and righteous God who I know wants to save me. They followed him. They became disciples of Jesus Christ. They left behind their commitment, or they left behind their success. They left behind their their normal life, if you would. And they made up their mind in that moment to commit to follow Christ. The question that I would ask a lot of you, have you made that commitment? Have you made that commitment? The invitation has been extended. Have you made that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, to commit, to make up your mind, to be disciplined enough to chase after the things of Christ? Because that's exactly what we have to realize that it takes in this journey of following Christ. 
Luke chapter nine, verse 23. I want you to turn there. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, this is not a very popular text anymore. This is not a very popular verse anymore. Because what you're gonna realize really quick is this verse is not about us. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. And he was saying to them all, Jesus, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now I wanna be careful right here because I don't wanna, I don't wanna plant seeds of doubt if it's not of God, but I also want us to be sensitive to this. Jesus doesn't say in this moment of feeding the 5,000, he doesn't say, he, hey, if you, if you wanna follow me, come fill out this card. He doesn't say, if you wanna follow me, come check this box. He doesn't even say, hey, if you wanna follow me, make sure you're at church every Sunday. But he said, if you wanna follow me, you must what? Deny yourself. Denying yourself is, is a tough concept. It's a tough topic to talk about these days because it is completely countercultural to what the world teaches us. Deny yourself, it literally means this. Disregard your own interest. Disregard your own interest and live as if your flesh does not exist. That's what denying yourself means. And I don't know about you, but that is something that I have to wake up every single morning and do. I have to deny myself every single day. I wish I could have said for me in denying myself that it was one and done. The day that Jesus Christ saved me, that was over. Thank God, the only thing that was final that day was my salvation but it is a constant battle for me as a human being to every day I have to die to myself. I have to deny my flesh. I have to wake up and say, Holy Spirit of God, please reveal to me today when it's not about me. And then not only that, he then goes on to say, take up your cross. That is essentially saying that exact same thing, die to yourself. This is absolute surrender to Jesus Christ. This is leaving behind everything that the world tells you is important, nailing it to a cross and turning and pursuing the one that is inviting you to follow him. And there's gonna be in some cases that when we're that committed, when we're this surrendered to follow Christ, in some cases, it may cost you some friends. In some cases, it may, it may cause a lifestyle change. In some cases, it may cause you to die to what you thought your identity was. For some of you, it may be a career shift. It may be turning from what was normal, from everything that was easy, everything that was comfortable, 
laying it all behind and now following Jesus. But the truth is also, that's one extreme. But you know what? God may be in the place you're at, in your job, in your occupation, in your family. Maybe he just wants you to die to yourself right where you're at. For some of us, it may not take us leaving a job. It may not take us going to the other side of the world. Jesus just simply wants to die to yourself right where you're at and take up your cross in your current situation. But we all know that it, there's a cost involved because our flesh is so much comfortable. Our flesh is so much easier. But this is all how the disciples began their journey. They heard the invitation from Jesus and they got up and they followed him. And so we see now that they belong to God. They now belong to the savior of the world. But in that moment of them leaving behind them dying, their, dying to themselves, taking up their cross and following him, in that moment, they became followers of Christ. They became disciples of Christ. But I want you to hear this. They were nowhere close to being mature disciples of Christ yet. You realize that when you choose to follow Christ, when you surrender your life to him, the process has just begun. The process has just begun in becoming a mature disciple of Christ. So many times it breaks my heart that churches, that events, that we will give an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. They raise their hand, they fill out a card, and we walk away patting ourselves on the back because we feel like mission accomplished, they're saved. What we have to do is we've got to get back to understanding it's not over. That's just the beginning. That is just the beginning. Yes, we believe that Jesus is willing and ready to save anyone and everyone. But then in that moment, it now becomes your responsibility and my responsibility to make sure that we're following up with these decisions, that we're following up to help them in their journey of becoming a mature disciple of Christ. The work is not over. The work has just started. This is the starting blocks of this race of following Jesus Christ. And it's hard. It's hard. You know, I remember when I was teaching at Davis Middle School, I would have conversations with, with men and women alike who would come in and they would share the gospel. And, and I, would, I would say, hey, let's be careful with how we give an invitation because we don't want it just to be a hand raise. And, and, and sometimes that was the case. And there would be kids every single week, that the same kids raising their hand, I got saved, I got saved, I got saved. And so I became so burdened. Brian, what are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do about it? How are we gonna make sure that these kids know that following Christ is much more than just raising a hand, than filling out a card, than writing a name down? And so I went to our administration and I asked Mr. Eddie Millwood, I said, hey, can I start a new believers class? And he says, yeah, sure, as long as it's before school. And so I had young men and women showing up in a classroom, walking through the FCA Bible of the starting line. And what I thought was just gonna begin with four to five students that were interested in this 
We ended up every single week with 40 to 50 kids showing up because they were hungry to become mature disciples of Christ. And the reality was as many of them had been saved for years, but they were so hungry because the church had not taken them by the hand and said, hey, look, we're gonna help you become. We're gonna help you become. And so as we know, this journey has just started. So Jesus invites, they now belong to God. And then what does he do in the Great Commission? He tells them to go. Go therefore to all the world. And he says, baptizing them. Baptizing them. So what we realize is that once we belong to God, the next thing that we as a Christian, as a follower now are commanded to do is to what? Follow through with believers' baptism. Now, it's interesting to me as I started studying and researching, there's no account of the disciples being baptized. But we would be led to believe but because what they're doing and what they're teaching and the actions that they're performing, that they would be following the lead of Jesus. Matthew chapter three, we see that Jesus was baptized. And then we read all throughout the New Testament where the disciples were baptizing. But in Luke chapter six, verse 40, it says in that, in that text, it says, disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so the disciples are doing just exactly what Jesus has done, and he's doing exactly what they have been told to do. And that's what you love about Jesus' leadership. He's never gonna ask you to do something that he was not willing to do himself. That's a true leader. So Jesus is not gonna say, hey, baptize, 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 even though you've never been baptized. He's gonna say, hey, we're gonna lead by example. We're gonna follow through with believer's baptism and we're gonna let the world know. Now, here's the misunderstanding of baptism. Baptism is not your salvation. When we celebrate people being dunked in the water, that's not the moment of conversion. That's not the moment of salvation. But what that is, is that is the announcement to the world. I am following Jesus Christ. I've been invited in. I'm gonna leave my old self in here. And I am visualizing that I am now coming up a new creation and I am going to follow Jesus. That's what baptism is. That's all it is. If I take my wedding ring off, it doesn't mean I'm not married. It doesn't mean I'm not married. But when I put this on, it lets the world knows that I am. That's baptism. Just because you've not followed through with believer's baptism, if you're a follower of Christ, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means that you've not put on the wedding ring yet. And so there's no doubt in my mind, there's probably many of you that you have professed to follow Christ, but you've never followed through with believer's baptism. Can I tell you that Jesus is very adamant? He says, hey, that's the first step of obedience. Let the world know. Make the announcement. Don't be ashamed that I am dying to myself and I'm going to follow Jesus. Baptism is a physical representation of what is spiritually taking place. It's a physical representation of what has spiritually taking place. But then after he tells the disciples, they say, you're gonna baptize, then he tells them, you gotta keep teaching. You gotta keep teaching. 
So you may ask the question, well, what were the, what were the disciples to teach? The same thing Jesus has been teaching them. If you remember back in Philippians chapter two, we talked a lot about what a follower of Christ looks like. And we would be led to believe that these are some of the things that Jesus was teaching about. He was teaching them, as Paul said, he was teaching his followers to be servants. He was teaching them to consider others more important. He was teaching them to, to not look at their own interests, to look out for the interest of others. He was teaching them to humble themselves. And these disciples learned this by listening to Jesus and watching Jesus lead by example. That's how Jesus lived his life. So we may ask the question, well, if I'm a disciple of Christ right now, I'm a modern day disciple, I don't have the opportunity to follow Jesus. I don't have the opportunity to physically follow after him and watch him do work. So, so what do we do? What, how do we become disciples if we don't physically get to follow after Jesus? Can I tell you? We have the living word of God to read about the ministry of Jesus. But if we went around the room, here's what I also want you to understand, that while we have the teaching of God's word that we're always gonna be about, you do realize if you look horizontally around your life that Jesus has placed disciples around you. Jesus has placed disciples in your life for you to follow. Because you can all think back on your journey of following Christ, of who in your life at certain seasons had influence on your life. Who was that disciple that, that the Holy Spirit of God aligned your heart with, that you were able to follow, that you were able to exemplify, that you prayed, hey, you know what? I wish I, wish I could have their thoughts. I wish I could respond in conflict the way they do. Because if you're anything like me, I'm that guy, my wife always says I'm pessimistic. I'm like, no, I'm not. I just prepare for the worst and I hope for the best. So in my mind, the cup is usually half empty. But if you've ever been around Lowell Whitmire, if you know Lowell Whitmire, the cup is always half full and it really gets on my nerves sometimes. <laughs> because I wanna be that way. But that's a disciple that the Holy Spirit of God has put around me that I get to watch, that I get to pray, God, I want that heart. I want to see things that way. So in your life, who, who are the disciples that he has put around you? But here's a very humbling thought. Whose life has God placed you in as their disciple? as you're leading them, as you're teaching them. Moms and dads, your children are your responsibility to disciple them, to lead by example, give them somebody to look at, give them somebody to watch. And I don't know about you, but if I sit down by myself for five minutes, that's the most convicting thought. Because when we see our children respond in certain ways, the reality is, is when they respond in ways we don't like, you do realize that most of those things you don't like in them are exactly what they see in you. That'll slap you in the jaw. 
The things that you don't like about your child are the very things they're watching you live out. So God has placed disciples around you and you also are leading people in discipleship. You're leading people in this direction. But what I wanna do as we get ready to kind of, to sort of land this is, I wanna look specifically at how Jesus trains. And I believe that Jesus has given us everything we need. He's given us a model. He's given the church the model that we need to follow in order to make disciples. He's given us the model to help believers, followers of Jesus Christ, to become mature disciples of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is the church as a whole has got caught up in this entanglement of trying to outdo the other one, of trying to reinvent the wheel, to try to come up with these latest and greatest strategies that is appealing to everybody else. When at the end of the day, Jesus is teaching, Jesus' model is very, very simple. Very easy to follow, very easy to understand. And the simplicity of it is almost mind-boggling. Because when we look back, these are the things that we as a church at Chestnut Mountain Church, this is what that our heart's desire is to be good at. Is what Jesus has placed in front of us to do. Turn to Mark or Matthew chapter four, and this is where we're gonna end. Matthew chapter four. And it's simply one verse. We see that what Jesus is, the example that he is laying out in front of us, I believe is the model that we as a congregation, that we at Chestnut Mountain Church are to implement. And it's not rocket science. Verse 23 of chapter four, Jesus was going. I always find it, he starts everything out. You realize what Jesus did a lot of. He did a lot of going. What's the first thing he tells the disciples to do? Go. So Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. We've already mentioned that Jesus says he's always going. But the first model that I believe Jesus gives us to implement here at this church, said he was teaching in the synagogue. Teaching, when you break it down, it literally means to impart important instructions. Anytime you see the word teach, when it was coming from Jesus, in a lot of cases, he would have taken a smaller group of people. You know, a lot of times when he was in the large crowds, what would he do with the disciples? He would pull the disciples away, and the Bible says that he would then do what to them? He wouldn't preach to them, but he would what? Teach them. He would impart instruction. And so when we read that word teach, we realize that the picture that's being painted is this was a lot more intimate 
This was a close relationship. This is where somebody's sitting down with someone that they can touch, that they can talk to, that they can ask questions, that they can bounce ideas, they can go back and forth. And so we see that the first model that Jesus gives is what we as church members, you ready to go back old school? That we call Sunday school. And look, all the modern, you use the word Sunday school? Yes, we use the word Sunday school. It worked for years. Many of you are disciples of Jesus Christ because of what? Sunday school. We all said it in church together. And I can promise you, ain't nobody gonna tweet that. Come join our Sunday school class at Chestnut Mountain. So we're going to call small groups, live groups, community groups, blah, 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 blah. The bottom line is, is what we need to do as followers of Christ is get in small groups of people and listen to the teaching of God's word. That's it. Let's just listen to the teaching of God's word. And what I am so proud of is what this team has done, exhausting themselves in the last year. If we look around this room, did you know on, on any given Sunday, I, our attendance here on campus with, with bodies is we're anywhere from, I don't know, 700 to 900 people. Did you know that 80 plus percent of every physical person that steps foot on this campus is involved in a small group? Over 80% of attendees here on Sunday morning is involved in a small group. And can I tell you, that is a miracle in and of itself. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen that people are that entrenched that they're saying, hey, you know what? I know in order for me to become a mature disciple of Christ, I gotta be around my people. I've got to be around the teaching of God's word. And look, there's all kind of different avenues and, and opportunities for you to be a part of this. There's two established groups on Wednesday nights. There's a women's group that has been meeting for the last probably six to seven weeks that all the good news from it just keeps pouring out. There's a men's group that praise God, we made it six o'clock in the morning on Thursdays. If you've not been here yet, I would advise you to be here. Free biscuit and coffee. But this past Thursday morning, we had over 50 men upstairs crammed in a room together. And you know what we did, guys? We're reading through the book of Proverbs. And we sit at a round table. And we talk about what the Holy Spirit of God is teaching us. One of our elders this past week led it. And man, he got up and he just shared in about six to seven minutes what God had taught him. And Mr. Denny stood up and he said, I got two words that, that God's really been laying on my heart. And I was expecting some big theological words. I was expecting, okay, here we're gonna go into the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff. He said, you know what two words God has been teaching me through the first five chapters of the book of Proverbs? Are you ready? Trust God. That's it. And so we as men sat around at tables and guess what we talked about for 59 minutes because you're out of here by 6.59. We talked about trusting God. We talked about trusting God. And so we see that that's a technique that Jesus himself used as he talked. 
But the second thing that we see is that the preaching of the good news. Preaching's a little bit different than teaching. If you look at the original language, preaching means to proclaim openly or a herald, an announcement. That's what we would be doing now. It would be the large masses were preaching. Can I tell you, there's a lot of opportunity for you to hear preaching. Every Sunday morning at 9 and 1045, you get to sit here. You get to sit here. You have, yeah, anyway, I don't even know how to term that. But anyway, you're here, praise God. 9 to 10.45, you're gonna hear the, the preaching and the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On Wednesday nights, our students have an opportunity to sit under the teaching and the, and the preaching. They get both on Wednesday nights. They're gonna hear a message and then they're gonna break off in groups. Our kids downstairs, they're hearing preaching and guess what they're also hearing? Teaching. On Tuesday nights, as Jared has just said a moment ago, guess what's gonna happen in that chapel at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons? The proclaiming, the preaching of God's word. And then they too break off in groups. There's all kind of opportunities for us to do what I believe Jesus has commanded us to do. You got teaching and you got preaching. While the environment's different, one thing that I want you to know that the teaching and the preaching all have in common is one thing, and guess what it is? The word of God. That's it. The word of God. And can I tell you, if someone thinks that they can become a mature disciple of Jesus Christ without the word of God, they've been lied to. Yes, I love worship music. And there's gonna be things that we can take from that that can help us in this journey. But I don't care if you listen to every worship song under the sun, it is not gonna help you in becoming a mature disciple of Christ. Worship music is for us to celebrate that we're in the maturing process. That's us giving glory to who it belongs to. You know, I would even venture to say this, and I, and I know this could be open for discussion, but if your growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ is centered around, is not centered around the teaching of God's word, then there is no growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ. To become a mature disciple of Christ the word of God is not optional. This is how we mature. This is how we grow up. But then the last thing we've seen teaching, we've seen preaching, and the last thing that we see here is the last thing that Jesus exemplified and said, in the healing of every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. I know a lot of you are going, does that mean now if I sit there teaching and preaching, I'm gonna be able to heal people? That's not the teachable moment here. What we can take from this is that as we sit under the teaching, as we sit under the preaching, we begin to have the heart of God. And you know what that is? It's all about serving other people. It's not about us anymore. It's all about helping others to belong to God 
and to become mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in serving others, in living out what we're being taught, that would segue us into the last B that we're gonna look at next week to build the kingdom. So as we belong to God, as we become mature disciples of Christ, what we're all trying to get to is that we all wanna be kingdom builders. We wanna build. But then guess what happens when we begin to build? You ready for this? We go. We go. Baptizing, teaching, serving. And we're reproducing ourselves. We're reproducing ourselves in those people that God places in our life. And this is why this, this process never ends. This is why this process never stops. So the question that I wanna ask you this morning is, where are you at in your journey of becoming a mature disciple of Christ? If we go back to the very beginning of how they became disciples, maybe you've never accepted the invitation to follow him. Maybe you're here this morning and you can say, I know I've got the invitation. I know that Jesus wants me to follow him, but I've never been willing and committed enough to leave behind who I am and trust what he's already finished. So maybe today that's where it all starts. Maybe today you don't even belong to him yet. And maybe the Holy Spirit has been drawing you. Maybe the Father has been calling you. He's been inviting you, maybe for the last several weeks, maybe for the last several years, maybe for the last eight to nine minutes. But what I would invite you to do is if that invitation has been extended by the Father in heaven, leave behind who you used to be and step into who God's called you to be. And that's a child of the King. Or maybe today you've, You've accepted that invitation. You're a follower of Christ. You would say, I'm a believer, but I've never followed through with baptism. I've never made this announcement. Now look, this gets a little uncomfortable at times because I can't tell you how many people that, that we talk with, that we counsel with, that will say, hey, I was saved some 25 years ago, but I've never followed through with baptism. People just assume that I've been baptized. Can I tell you, there's no telling how many people in this room or in that, in that camp, hey, I was saved, but I've never followed through with baptism. I don't like being in front of people. My hair gets all disgusting when it's wet. Hey, let's don't miss out on a blessing. Let's don't miss out on an opportunity for us as a family to celebrate together because what that helps us do is it identifies those who are following Christ. And so then what the disciples of Christ get the opportunity to do is we don't just clap about it and applaud them with our hands, but we go as disciples of Christ and take them by the hand and say, hey, come along on this journey together. 
That's why we do that. So is that where you're at in this journey? Or maybe you're not surrounded by the teaching. You say, well, pastor, I'm in the preaching. I come listen to you every week. I encourage you, get in an environment where you're being taught. Get in an environment where you can ask questions. Get in an environment where you can rub shoulders with other people who are in the same boat you are. And maybe you say, well, I'm all those things. Maybe it's time for you to start serving. Maybe it's time for you to start reproducing who you have become. Is that in kids? Is that in students? Is that in a Sunday school class? But the truth is, is every single one of us are in one of those categories. Every one of us. And so I want you to ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to you this morning, where are you at in this cyclical process of disciple making? Where are you at? And as the Holy Spirit reveals it, you gotta do what the disciples did. You gotta respond. If you've never followed through. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.